We are reading together in the scriptures of the Old Testament, at Genesis at chapter 19, page 19, if you're using the church Bible, page 19, uh, Genesis chapter 19, this, um, the word Genesis means beginnings. And this is the book that tells us about the beginning of the world, the beginning of all things, and the early years uh, of um, human existence uh, on the earth. And we're looking in particular on these Lord's days at the life of Abraham, a man who lived by faith um, over 4,000 years ago, looking to the Christ who would come as the Saviour. We read then this morning Genesis chapter 19 and um, the angels that have been with Abraham now arrive where Lot is and so we're going to read about Lot, Abraham's nephew this morning and the city in which he lives. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night, and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square or in the street. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out with us, so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them, and shut the door behind them. And said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. And they said, this fellow came here as a stranger, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness so they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here? Sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. 
He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favour in your eyes and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to, and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, Very well. I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zoar meaning small. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah, towards all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man around here to lie with us, as is the custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine, and then lie with him and preserve our family line through our father. That night they got their father to drink wine, and the older daughter went in and lay with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. The next day the older daughter said to the younger, Last night I lay with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight and you go in and lie with him so we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father drunk to, or to drink wine that night also. 
And the younger daughter went and lay with him. Again, he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son and she named him Moab. He's the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son and she named him Ben-Ammai. He's the father of the Ammonites of today. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19 and page 19. A couple of weeks ago, we reached the end of Genesis chapter 18 in our studies in the life of Abraham. And in our study of Genesis chapter 18, our focus was on Abraham, the friend of God. And he had a glorious um, and awesome experience of showing hospitality to the Lord Jesus and two angels from heaven. All three of them hiding their glory with human bodies. What more encouraging, what more comforting scene could we imagine or ask for than that? The friend of God, Abraham, hearing the word of the Lord for his life and standing before the Lord, making intercession, offering up prayer with boldness. Surely this is the summit of Christian experience. And it is a glorious testimony to what God does by saving grace in the life of a sinner. Not just in Abraham 4,000 years ago, but in you and me also. For we who believe in Jesus, who live by faith in the Son of God, we too become spiritual giants. We become the friend of God as we hear God's word and receive it to our lives with prayer. And the experience that Abraham had is the experience that we can have day by day and particularly on the Lord's Day when we gather in the church. Now if you and I had been writing the scriptures, I don't believe we would have written chapter 19 after chapter 18. Could we conceive in our minds of following the summit and the high mountain experience of the believer on chapter, in chapter 18 with this scene of judgment on sin and um, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, an escape by a child of God a mere escape, a bare escape by a child of God from it. Chapter 18, in many respects, is a flash forward to heaven. And chapter 19 is a flash forward to hell. To the day of judgment. 
the two angels having left Abraham, Genesis chapter 18, verse 22, they arrive in the city of Sodom uh, in the Jordan plain in the evening, just before the gates are about to close. And there they are greeted by a solitary man. A man who we know and have met already because he is Abram's nephew, Lot. Now, Lot, like Abram, is a believer. And he seeks to emulate Abram's hospitable attitude. He welcomes the angels and he urges them to stay the night with him and promises refreshment to them both in terms of uh, the washing of their feet after the journey and also the provision of food. But Lot does not possess Abram's spiritual stature. The angels eat at his table, but unlike with Abram, there's no promise of blessing. Indeed, their visit is to bring an urgent warning of imminent danger to this man of God who's not walking very closely with his Lord. Dirty Kidner describes Lot as the righteous man without the pilgrim spirit. That's a real good summary of Lot. The righteous man, the man that's saved by grace through faith in Christ, but without the pilgrim spirit of Abraham. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15, he himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. And on that solemn day when the angels visit his household, Lot's work is shown for what it is. His life is shown for what it is. Wood with hay and straw. And Sodom where Lot lives is a squalid place. Yes, it's prosperous. Yes, it's affluent. Yes, it's culturally advanced. And it would see itself as very up-to-date and with it, but spiritually and morally bankrupt. There's no fear of man. Lot is a leading official in this city, but the men are prepared to kill him, though he's a counsellor. There's no fear of the angels. The angels strike these men blind, and the men continue to grope and try to get into a house all night until they're exhausted. There's no fear of God in the city. Lot goes to those men that are going to be part of his family through marriage to his daughter soon and they think he is joking when he talks about the judgment of the Lord. A city without fear of man, of the angels or of God. It's ripe for God's judgment. We don't find it easy 
to move from the spiritual mountaintop of Genesis 18 to the spiritual squalor of chapter 19. But I ask you this question. Is it not more true to life than perhaps we realise? Indeed, is it not unbearably close to your experience and mine? We come together on the Lord's Day and there's a mountaintop experience and then for some of you, you return home to family who do not honour or serve the Lord. Or tomorrow, you as believers, you go into a place of work where there is moral filth and spiritual bankruptcy. And then all of us today, we live in a society as Christians where the Christian faith and Christian morals are being rejected. Someone described our society as a sex-mad society. A man and a woman no longer marry. They just shack up together. A young couple dating, or in the early stages of a relationship, do not withhold themselves sexually until marriage is scripture and as God requires. But they enter it outside of and before they're committed to marriage. Married men and women, tired of their spouse. Not willing to put in the hard slog of building a lifelong relationship till death is to part. Having lost the spark in their marriage, they go for the affair with someone they work with or socialize with. Two men, two women, decide they prefer one another to live together. And cast aside what nature shows and scripture commands. That the man and the woman are made for each other. You see we have the Genesis 18 experience. But we live in a Genesis 19 world. The question is you and I who profess Christ this morning. As we live in this environment. Are we an Abraham? The friend of God. Or are we a lot? A Christian without a pilgrim spirit. Let's notice three things as we look at the chapter. And verse 29 is uh, our text this morning. Genesis 18 and verse 29. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought out Lot from the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. And there are three headings, as you'll see, in the order of service. First of all, God ruins the ungodly Sodomites when God destroyed the cities. The two angels quickly discover that the outcry to God against Sodom, Gomorrah, and the other cities of the plain is not exaggerated. It is not overstated. The angels have hardly finished a quick meal, verses 1 to 3. This is a bit like going to the snack bar or snack food. That's what Lot really served here. It was snack food, unleavened bread, compared to Abram's sit-down and sumptuous meal. But they've they've hardly finished it. 
uh, before we're told, verse 4, the men of the city, young and old, from every part of the city, every class, every background, every social standing, they're at Lot's door. And they're demanding one thing, that the two men be handed over to them for their perverse, wicked, sexual gratification. It literally is in verse 5, uh, that we may know them. It's the same verb as in earlier in Genesis when it said a man will know his wife. Homosexuality is the norm in Sodom. It's the norm. It's not a moral or criminal offence. It is not forbidden by the city fathers as offensive to God or damaging to society. Lot, in fact, is portrayed by his friends or brothers, as he calls them, the fellow citizens. He's portrayed as abnormal. He's the odd man out. He's the relic from a bygone age, old-fashioned, out-of-date, censorious age. Verse 9. This fellow came to stay here, and now he wants to play the judge. He wants to tell us that homosexuality is wrong. It is not precisely how Christians are portrayed in our society today. Old-fashioned. Out of date. We hear the question, what right have Christians to impose their sexual values on a, society, on a city, on a society, in a school, in a community? They're just being judgmental. Well, we don't have a right to do so if they are our moral values. We do have a right to do so if they are God's moral standards, which they are. And you and I have got to realise today that we live in a society as Christians and we work and we serve and we associate and we rub shoulders with people but the world is not our friend. The world is not your friend as a Christian. When it comes to issues of faith and morals, and how quickly, when it comes to those issues, people who you thought you knew well and that you were friends with and you had a relationship with, They'll turn and they'll say, verse 9, this fellow came to stay here and now he wants to play the judge. So who is right? Lot? Or the Sodomites? Well, the chapter makes it very clear that Lot does represent God. The angels, by their actions and words, make it abundantly clear that God detests the homosexuality of Sodom. Look at verse 10. The angels pulled Lot back into the house when his life is in danger. Verse 11. They struck the men young and old with blindness. Verse 12. They said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here? Get them out of here. Verse 13. For destroying, literally it is, we are, there's an emphasis, this city. Then verse 24. The Lord rained down burning sulfur 
on the city. God ruins the ungodly sodomites. And homosexuality, whatever other contributing factors there may or may not be, and I'm not going to make any comment on that this morning, but regardless of what may or may not be other contributing factors, homosexuality is first and foremost a sinful way of life that is deliberately chosen and followed and has to be repented of and forsaken. And Scripture is clear, Old Testament and New Testament, that God did not create a man for a man or a woman for a woman, but that he created the man for the woman. And that a homosexual way of life is not compatible with the claim to be saved. First Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 First Timothy 1 verse 10 We're told there that homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, they're not the only group. You see, we've got to be very clear about that. The same is true of the person who has a sexual relationship with someone outside of marriage before they're married and they say they're a Christian scripture says no it's not uh, scripture says that's not compatible that's not consistent the person who says I can break my marriage vows and live an adulterous life with other women and I can claim to be a Christian and enter heaven scripture says no you can't scripture says the same of the Christian uh, who would dishonour prince, who would covet, who would live a life of greed, who would fall into a habit and a pattern of drunkenness. It says these things do not go together. The saved person has got to be leaving those things behind. And so, we're seeing here that God brings ruin upon ungodly lives, whatever is the besetting sin. If that sin is held onto and not repented of and forsaken. Now when we speak of homosexuality, we've got to exercise great care. And when we exercise, we see of God's judgment here on homosexuality. We are not in a position to say that this or that natural disaster that happens today is God's judgment on a homosexual lifestyle now. We do not have the ability to say that. We do not have the right to say that. And we must not demonize the homosexual. And in saying that their lifestyle is offensive to God and to right-thinking people, we are not guilty of hate crime. Those who are the friends of God have got to be the friend of sinners as Jesus was. And reaching out to sinners of all kinds with the gospel so that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ all kinds of sinners including homosexuals and heterosexuals are saved and transformed to live new lives. So then we see 
God ruins the ungodly sodomites. But not just homosexuals come under his judgment. Respectable, clean, religious, nice, moral people who do not recognize their sin and who do not repent of their sin who do not lay hold of Jesus Christ as their saviour they too will come under God's judgment and those of us who are Christians they at one time we were under God's judgment until the moment of salvation Let's notice then, secondly, God rescues righteous Lot. He rescues righteous Lot. Our text says, and he brought Lot out. Lot has lived in Sodom, this ungodly environment, for a considerable length of time. By the time of its destruction, he is a leading figure. Notice verse 1, sitting in the gateway. Now we need to stand back and we need to ask how is Lot the believer faring? How is he doing? How is he getting along in such an environment? And we've got to say that clearly Lot maintains clear biblical moral convictions on homosexuality. The man is as straight as a die. And that is evident from Genesis 19 verse 7. Don't do this wicked thing. And even clearer still is 2 Peter 2 verse 7. Where Peter writes about Lot and says, And God rescued righteous Lot, oppressed with the filthy conduct of the wicked, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. This man day after day was offended and grieved and upset and tormented in his soul by the homosexual way of life that was all around him. The question is, why does he stay? It's not the only place to live. And we've got to bear in mind, he chose to live there, Genesis chapter 13. And bear in mind with that Abraham has already rescued him from getting caught up in the lifestyle and the affairs of Sodom, chapter 14. So why is he still there? Because he is a man who, though saved, is weak and lacks backbone and has divided loyalties and he's trying to serve two masters He's trying to serve God and he's trying to serve the flesh. And Sodom is a place of comfort and a place of prosperity and a place where you get on and do well. And he's a hankering after material things. And even when he's warned of the city's imminent destruction, such as Lot's devotion to his life and lifestyle in Sodom, that he lingers. He lingers there. And he runs the danger of being caught up in its judgment. In fact, had it not been for the angels, verse 15, who urged Lot, arise. And verse 16, who seized him and brought him by the hand. 
Lot would never have left Sodom. He would have been caught up in its fearful judgment. Lot should never have been in Sodom in the first place. And though he maintains his convictions on homosexuality, and though he escapes with his life, Sodom is not a good experience for him, a believer. Nor does it bring blessing to his family. I want us to note briefly the compromises, the compromises he makes along the way by living in Sodom. Look at verse 8. He's willing to protect the man against homosexuality, but he's willing to give his unmarried daughters to the ungodly men of Sodom to gratify and satisfy their sexual lusts. How inconsistent of this man of God. Look at verse 14. His future sons-in-law, when he goes to them and speaks to them about the city's imminent danger, they think he is joking. What does that tell you about Lot? What does it tell you about his character? What does it tell you about his witness to these men and his relationship uh, with them and with the city. Derek Kibner describes it as his public ineffectiveness. His public ineffectiveness. Then look at verse 16. Remember this man has a vast household. His household was so vast that he couldn't stay alongside Abram a short time ago. And only himself and his wife and two daughters, only four people are rescued by the Lord from that city. And then look at verses 18 to 22. And there we have the man's lack of trust in the Lord. Yes, the Lord can deliver him out of the city, but the Lord can't keep him safe till he gets to the mountains. He's going to be destroyed. It's going to catch up with him, he thinks. Verse 19, I cannot flee to the mountains. And then verse 30, uh, after he settled for a while in Zohar, what does he do? He leaves Zohar and settles in the mountains, for he was afraid. Here's a man and he's living his life day by day, not in a strong, vibrant faith, but he's living in fear as a believer. Then look at verse 26. His wife, she flagrantly disobeys the Lord's command not to look back. Not to hanker after Sodom, what they're leaving behind. But and she's judged. Is she a believer? Where did his wife come from? Was she a woman of Sodom? There's nothing to suggest that this woman was a believer. He's a disobedient spouse. And then look at verses thirty one to thirty eight the ungodly actions of his two daughters. Now I'm away from, when you think about it, here's a man who's moved from the city. He's been a city dweller, and now he's a caveman. Does that not tell you something about the detention? And what, again, Kidner talks about, the last stages of disintegration in his family. Lot and his family reach here the last stages of disintegration 
when his daughters make him drunk and each have a child by him. Lot, yes, he's a believer. He's going to go to heaven. And he's in heaven today. And we will see him in heaven one day. But a believer of such tragic proportions and dimensions. The Lord delivers him from destruction with Sodom. But notice he doesn't deliver him from the consequences of his earlier choices. He's saved. But as by fire. Are you a believer this morning? Living deliberately and intentionally and knowingly in an ungodly compromised life in an environment that is damaging you and that is going to do irreparable damage to your children hankering after someone or something hankering after the flesh other than the Lord how did it all go so badly wrong for Lot well, here's a man, and a man of God, but he doesn't cultivate his walk with the Lord. Don't read it of any altars being built. He habitually neglects prayer and the Word. Where do you ever find him praying? Where do you ever find him hearing God's Word? And do you ever find a man who prays, or a woman who prays, or a man who hears God's Word, a woman who hears God's Word, and their life gets into such a mess? No, it doesn't. This man rarely opens his Bible, as we would say. Rarely opens his lips in prayer. This man has made wrong choices at crucial moments, choosing for himself and not for the honour of the Lord, choosing the best land, choosing Sodom. This man has not put to death the remaining sin which is in all of us. Especially that desire for material things to get on in the world. There's a love of money. This man did not make a clear and uncompromising stand as a believer in the public arena. And fellow believers, watch out for those things. Watch out for a way of living the Christian life that neglects the word and prayer. Watch out for a way of life that when it comes to making crucial decisions and crucial moments you choose without the Lord. Watch out for remaining sin that you're not dealing with now in your life day by day. Watch out. For not taking a public stand for Christ. Is there a lot in church this morning? You're saved. Nobody can deny that. But you're badly compromised. And you're dangerously weakened as a Christian. By your choices and your lifestyles. Uh, and... Your actions and your words. 
What do we say to someone? If there's such a one here this morning. Then with the angels we say. Verse 15. Arise. Verse 17. Flee for your life. Do not look back. Or stop. Flee not to the mountains. But flee to Christ your Saviour. Cry out to him. Make haste. Verse 22. Escape there. Verse 22. And good verse 16. Because the Lord is merciful. And verse 19. He's gracious. And he's kind. God rescues righteous Lot. Do you need to be rescued? Like righteous Lot? Let's notice then thirdly and finally this morning and more briefly God remembers faithful Abraham. God remembers faithful Abraham. The day before Abraham has stood and prayed for this city that there might be 50 righteous people or as few as 10 righteous people that will hold back the judgment of the Lord and give opportunity for repentance. And Abraham the next morning leaves his tent and he doesn't know the answer to his prayer. The Lord hasn't told him but he soon discovers that the holy and righteous judgment of God has fallen on the city. Look at verse 28. He saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. And how grieved this faithful man of God must have been in his heart. And put yourself in Abraham's shoes standing there and think of the day before and the prayer that you prayed. And what would you think? What would you think? The Lord hasn't answered my prayer. Isn't that what you think? Isn't that what it seems? But what Abram does not know, and what he cannot know, is that there is a wonderful rescue that has taken place. And the Lord has wonderfully answered his prayer. Not exactly as Abraham asked or expected, but his nephew Lot, the godly righteous, has not been swept away with the wicked. Genesis 18 verse 23. And you see Moses writing up the account of these events, he makes the connection between Abraham's prayer and Lot's deliverance. Look at what he says in verse 29. When God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham. What was it about Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah that the Lord should remember? Well, his prayers. Those prayers offered with such boldness and with such deep humility. And I say to you, what an encouragement. What an encouragement to us who believe. The Lord heard, the Lord answered Abram's prayer. 
in accordance with his perfect knowledge and sovereign will in a way that Abraham had not even dared to ask. Because at no point in chapter 18 did Abraham intercede for Lot. But the Lord remembers faithful Abraham, praying Abraham, and answers his prayers. What an encouragement to believers to pray. To pray with confidence. To pray with humility to the Lord. Praying for unconverted family. Praying for unconverted friends. Praying for unconverted neighbours, work colleagues, other boys and girls at school. Praying for the long list of non-Christians that God has given us contact with as a church. Can we force the hand of God? Can we tell God what to do? No, we can't. But we can and should beseech him to save the lost in the light of his word. And who knows? Who knows how he will answer? He may not grant the detail of our prayers. But if he doesn't, he will grant the principle. And he will grant the spirit of our prayers. He will grant the burden of our prayers. Our prayers are not in vain. They are always heard, always answered. Recently, one of the children from church said to me, I pray to God to save my daddy, but he isn't answering my prayer. I didn't have much time to think, and it wasn't the time for a theological answer, but I said to that child, Do you know something? I've been a Christian for 37 years, and my parents aren't yet saved. But I pray for them every day. Keep on praying for your daughter. Only heaven itself will reveal how and when the Lord has wrought marvelous deliverances in people's lives due to your prayers. Always pray and do not give up. But let me close with a word of caution to any Christian here this morning who's careless about prayer. He says, well, I don't need to bother about prayer. I know my minister prays for me. I know the elders pray for me. I know my family prays for me. And the church members pray for me. That's a dangerous, dangerous road to travel. That's the road Lot travelled. There's never any evidence of him praying any time we encounter him. And it's almost as if he is saved from Sodom's judgment by Abram's prayer only. And I say to you men and women, do not rely on the prayers of others in order to receive the grace of God.
pray for yourself. Pray for yourself. The effect of fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's our memory verse for today. Lot saved? Absolutely. But only as through fire. How do we want to get to heaven? By the skin of our teeth? Like a lot. Or in confidence and assurance like Abraham. It's a choice we've got to make as believers. Amen. Let's burn hands and let's pray. Lord God, we are dealing this morning with solemn, searching truths for all of us here today. God, if there are any here today to whom you are speaking because they are in the camp of the Sodomites, wicked, ungodly, unsaved, yes, not living the lifestyle that these men lived, but nonetheless living life without Christ, without God, without hope, living like Lot's wife perhaps, we pray, Lord, that you would save such today and bring them to yourself. And Lord, for all of us then who believe here this morning, search our hearts by your Spirit and your Word. Preserve us from being a lot, saved as through fire. Make us each one an Abram. A man, a woman, who's the friend of God, who has the summit, the experience of day by day, being in the Word and being in prayer, and so being equipped and strengthened to live in an ungodly world. Lord, make us stand in this wicked generation and help us to put on the armour of God to do so. In Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.